0: TMBC's Comic Book Workshop, brought to you by Panel by Panel Magazine and our lovely supporters on Patreon. I'm Jason Hammonds, a writer who also draws. And I'm Kent Heidelman, an artist who also writes. We are both making comics
1: while still learning how to make comics. After scouring the internet and the libraries and fighting mm, uh, backwards, upside-down demons (laughs) with their precious knowledge on making comics. We thought it might be
0: a good idea to share our notes and hopefully help you make your own comics as well. All
1: right, Jason. The agenda. What's on it? Oh, man. The agenda today.
0: uh, Normally, we like to do these double-headers, at least for Season 1. This is definitely going to change for Season 2, just because uh, I am not uh, overly stocked up on time to be able to edit. But uh, normally, we like to have sort of a two-header of an interview and uh, a uh, a topic. However, this week, the interview went so long, we're just going to do the interview. Yeah. This uh, interview is with Michelle Fife. Uh, He is the uh, creator of uh, Copra which is his uh, self-published comic, entirely self-published. Uh, the trade paperbacks um, are, are published through Bergen Street, but everything else is done entirely by himself. He writes, he draws, he colors, he physically colors. He doesn't digitally. He digital nothing. It's all physical for him. Renaissance man, this guy. He's a Renaissance man, that old Michel Fife. Um, but he's also done uh, other works that you might know as well, like uh, Zegas, I think is how you pronounce it. I always hate it with like words that you only see in print, but you don't know how to pronounce them. Um, it's like all of English to me. It's true. Uh, he also uh, did Bloodstrike Brutalists uh, for uh, Rob Liefeld, um, re- uh, rejuvenated the old, um, I think, Extreme Comics property. Uh which was really fun. Uh, I'm sure... I think the trade paperback is coming out, like, this month um, of Bloodstrike Brutalist. So make sure you check it out and uh, spread the love with Michelle over that. But uh, Copra, honestly, is, like, I think, a masterclass in self-published comics.
1: It's incredible to read that stuff.
0: It's amazing. Like for He's kind of doing this story that's like his version of, um, like, the John Ostrander Suicide Squad, which is really cool. Uh, but it's also just, I mean, all around, from... From whether it be the writing or, or the plotting or just like the business aspect of it, Michelle is handling this as a creator, I think, as good as anybody possibly could in self-published comics. Um, so it's it's super worth a worth a go. Um, make sure you find him online and you can check out, like, I think it's michellefife.com is uh, where you can find his stuff um, and order that comic and sign up for a subscription. Um, I think all the issues are on Comixology as well. Do you talk about selling them on Etsy? I, I don't, it might be Etsy. I, he'll say it in the interview. He'll say it in the interview. Um, but it's it was really awesome getting an insight into Michelle's process. Um, I think you'll all really enjoy this episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, without further ado, let's just kick it on off to Michelle Fife. book workshop, Kent. We're we're here with another special guest today. Mm-hmm. Very very special. We've uh, y- you'll you'll know him from many comics. He's he's somebody who kind of came on the scene in a, an unexpected way. Um, his his uh, biggest, I think, claim to fame right now is uh, Copra. His his gargantuan uh, self published comic. Uh, that that takes a lot of the sort of '80s action Suicide Squad kind of riffs that you know and you're familiar with, and twists them in new ways. Um, but you'll also know him from Bloodstrike, Brutalists, uh, The Ultimates from Marvel, and many more things. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle Fife.
2: Hey guys, what's going on? Thanks um, for having me.
0: Hey, thanks, thanks for joining the show. We are uh, we're surviving this crazy heat wave here in California. I'm sure it's it's probably uh, just as uh... Up a little bit. Oh, oops, sorry about that um it just
2: went totally blank for a second
0: I don't know. <laughs> yeah no that's that's my that's bad normal. that's my bad it was uh the call the call was just super super fun quality here um
2: <laughs> no before i start rambling on i, I want to make sure you guys are there
0: <laughs> yeah no you're you're good um so M- michelle you're you're out in new york right yeah that's right, and and you, I, I know I, I've heard a little bit like your your kind of goal in going out to New York from from Miami, I think is where you're from, uh, was basically just so that you could be in the hub of of comics publishing. Is that is that
2: correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that my breaking into comics, the way I came onto the scene, because I feel like I came in through the back door unexpectedly, mm. uh, even though I had been trying forever just to do the 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 traditional methods of breaking in um and you're totally right like i I came i was raised in miami but as soon as i graduated i just went um you know new york was my focus that was my goal just Mm. to break in through those through those channels through those comic book uh, uh you know institutions you know marvel dc whoever else would have me uh the illustration world was here uh, and we're talking about maybe in the mid-90s, late-90s, around there, mm-hmm. when a lot of publishers were very much still in New York. Um, that's no longer the case these days, of course. But back then, that was sort of understood that if you wanted to work in comics, it'll be easier to live in the city where they make the comics. Of course. So, so yeah, I just moved. Uh, I, I actually live in Brooklyn. That's where I've always lived um, in my stay here in New York. Yeah. So, so but yeah, this was the destination for sure.
0: That's awesome. And and it's and it's funny so I mean obviously you you know you fell in love enough with uh with New York that you know even after uh the the industry kind of got you know decentralized uh you still stayed out there. Is it
2: Well yeah. Yeah, it's funny cuz it's like I was a, a kid with the dream to live in New York and I've sort of held on to that with like a death grip pretty much. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. It's, it is funny. I mean, you, you know, you always hear about like the, the Marvel bullpen and, and all that stuff. You know, people like running pages into the office right before they went to print and stuff like that. And it kind of creates this uh, this this big lore around New York.
2: Yeah. I mean, I fell in love with that scenario for, you know, precisely that scenario. Like I just wanted to be sort of in the hub of comic book making. Yeah. Uh, no matter what. Uh, so it's funny that that's sort of gone. You know, I'm I'm sure the offices and whatever company are still teeming with activity, but that specific sort of creative energy was uh, something that really appealed to me, you know, which is funny now because I pretty much work by myself um, a lot of the times. Um, So it's just funny how I still have that sort of remnant of a dream (laughs) still driving me.
1: Absolutely. With that uh, feeling of community when you're inside of New York, were you able to connect and hook up with artists and kind of learn from each other at all?
2: Well, I mean, in the the beginning, when I first got here, it was all about trying to connect with other artists, you know, like professionals. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know many peers. In other words, most of my friends weren't into comics or weren't trying to break in. So it was about me showing my portfolio to companies, going to conventions, uh, applying to every comic book store in the city, eventually I got hired by one of them. So that was, that's how I met a lot of my peers, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of friends and stuff uh, and fellow readers and fans and stuff. Uh, as opposed to like in Miami where there was like none of that. I mean, I had yeah. a couple of friends who collected comics, but I feel like I wasn't really tapped into the scene down there, mm-hmm. uh, as a kid or as a teenager. So things changed considerably in New York. And yeah, I met, I met a lot of people here. There are a lot of cartoonists that still live here. Um, and we still connect. I still catch up with them. And it's sort of my social circle in a weird mm-hmm. way, uh, which is necessary, especially when, you know, you're a freelance artist. Oh, absolutely. Uh, working out of your studio. So, yeah.
0: I So one thing I'm fascinated by um, is, is people's, you know, sort of like first comic that they've published. Um, and, and I'm curious for you, like the first comic that you ever, you know, actually had published and, and sold to people. Um, how long did that sort of, uh, process take of, of making that first comic and then printing it? And and how did you go about finding the resources to do that?
2: Oh man. Well, by published, uh, you know, for me that, that equals, uh, Kinko Xerox copy of your mini comic. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) That to me rates, right? So it was me kind of actually about to embark on my first road trip to new york and just sort of hustling to get an issue done an issue of something Mm -hmm. um and and at the time i was really discovering like underground comics and alternative comics so that seemed very real to me where i could just do it all myself and actually uh, you know at the kinkos and staple Mm -hmm. it myself and fold it and staple and then package it together Mm -hmm. and i sort of like that quality control (laughs) and you know friends of mine were making zines and stuff about music and bands and stuff and i'm like well i could just make a comic right and i gotta say that was really really electrifying for me that was so cool i, I love the every step that it took to make that happen yeah totally. now the selling part is difficult because i couldn't give these things away yeah. you understand like <laughs> no one fucking cared and and with good reason i mean it's a terrible comic but you know that was that was a very important lesson yeah. in a lot of things and just uh the way you approach your work the uh, how you present it to the world um it, it was tough, man. It was tough, but it was it was a good experience.
0: What was uh, what was when that? Be- fir- oh, wait, go ahead.
2: No, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: I was just gonna ask, what was the first comic yeah, about? Uh, that's what I want to know.
2: <laughs> the first comic I made was, uh, in that capacity, was called Service Deco, and it was sort of my uh, take on. I guess it's it's a little unclear because I wanted to have vigilante stuff, you know, like Frank Miller type stuff, but oh, yeah. I also wanted to have personal relationship stuff like love and rockets Mm -hmm. so it was weird for me to sort of reconcile both ends of the spectrum and they're pretty exact opposites but i still love both of them a lot so i tried mixing it up um and trying to be artsy too like the covers (laughs) really ambiguous and terrible uh no wonder no one took it because it's like what are you handing me some sort of like propaganda weird (laughs) thing off the street no it's it's terrible it's charming uh, when you when you see the art it's like oh he's trying that's really neat you know but not really it's a terrible fucking comic but um that's what i was going for a, a mix of love and rockets and uh sin city or or whatever frank miller was doing Hell that i was yeah. into at the time well
1: it's, it's funny you yeah bring but up, that, uh, that, oh sorry
2: no, go ahead. I was saying it's that?
1: funny you bring up Frank Miller because that was one of the questions uh, that I'd written down was I, I opened up Copra and I'm like, oh, man, I'm seeing the Miller like, influences immediately. At least I think I am. Uh, how much of an influence was he on your work?
2: I, f- I feel like too much. Uh, <laughs> like too much of an influence. Um, I really love that guy. I yeah. mean I grew up with him. I, I Everything I read by him was a home run. I just loved it to death. Uh, I mean I could recite lines from all his books almost. I think I've read – almost everything he's done like wow. even the early early raw stuff i just loved it yeah. so it's kind of difficult to not have that be incorporated into my work in some way you know um yeah. he's got it on lock like silhouettes <laughs> running through rooftops that's him oh yeah you know so every time i have that it's like yeah that's going to be a millerism right <laughs> like he, he's really defined a language for so much of the stuff that that comics do well totally and, uh, and that i do you know so I still like listen even even his new stuff. We're we're recording this one uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. I love his new stuff. I know it gets a bad rap, but I think it's it's cool drawing and it's it's a natural evolution from where he came from. It's not yeah. like a sudden shift of like oh, now he can't draw anymore, which is I think sort of a lazy criticism totally. because it's like the the guy can draw. He's just He's cartooning. His tastes are just different. Right, exactly. He's cartooning.
0: Yeah, I uh, and I think the thing that plays in the most disservice these days is is the coloring and on and on honest like you know Alex Sinclair I think is a talented colorist and and works really well with certain styles but I feel like if if Frank Miller were colored uh, almost the way Ed Pisker colors his comics you know or even honestly even the way that, that you color your comics like so I the feel way like, you color your comics yeah yeah I, f- I feel like that would do Frank's art much more of a, a service because I think when you start trying to render Frank Miller it, it really takes something out of it.
2: Yeah, I agree completely. I think uh, his latest thing, Xerxes. Yeah, those are th- there are some great drawing in there. There are Absolutely. some really iconic, weird, almost like quasi abstract images. Yeah, and it's and it's sort of rendered in color to make it look sort of typical and and mm-hmm. common. And mm-hmm. it's it's unfortunate because really, Alex Sinclair is a great colorist. Totally. but he's great for Jim Lee exactly in that generation. Yep, but. But I could see like a Xerxes being printed in black and white mm-hmm. or the way the Parker books, Darwin Cook's Parker books were colored, where it's just like oh. one or two colors yes. Um, yes. that'd be beautiful Yes. on my colored paper or something. I think that would, would do it a better service than what he's being dealt with right now. But that's just my personal taste. And, you know, yeah. I mean, we agree on that thing. So I, I don't know the ins and outs of that. It's probably just a money thing. Like, yep. you know, people won't buy it if it's black and white. But I mean, come on, it's Frank Miller. He could do it. People are going to buy it. <laughs> exactly. You know. Yeah, I'm, he's got that advantage, you know?
0: Yeah, well, it's weird. He's, like, he's going into a hot streak right now. I mean, his the workload that he has, like, the stuff that's been announced about what Frank Miller's working on, it's like, holy crap. Like, this dude is doing, like, a, I guess, a children's uh, sort of comic series based on, like, Arthurian legend. He's doing a Superman Year One book. He's doing Xerxes, obviously. Um, you know, like, another Dark Knight book, I guess. Like, he's, he's really, like, this... I don't know. He's hitting a prolific stride in, like, his mid-60s.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it comes in waves, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. he just drops off and we don't see him for a while and then he comes back strong. Totally. Uh and I, I'm on board for all of it, really. Totally. And I'm not, you know, there are things I don't like. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid or anything, yeah. but but overall in general, I I dig where he's going and where he's been. Did- and his influence on me is I mean, I can't dispute it at all. Of so I don't even try to hide it. <laughs> that first Cobra book really is 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 a lot of that, you know, but I'm working through my influences. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I have it anymore. Maybe because I've been trying to suppress it a little bit, just because, it, 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 like, I don't want to be that guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't want. I don't want to rely on those sort of influences, those obvious influences too much. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to neglect them either So if it comes up, it comes up. Yeah. But uh, definitely in that first coper book, you can see a lot of it. You know.
0: Yeah, and it is. It is funny. Like sometimes you can kind of see. Uh, reading through, you know, more of Copra as you go on, or, or obviously in Bloodstrike, like you can see sort of your influences or the things that you're kind of being inspired by at the time change a little bit. I mean, in Bloodstrike, obviously, and I'm sure this is intentional, being that it's a, you know, Rob Liefeld uh, type property, but you can see a lot of those similar layouts to what you'd find in, in early image books, you know, and a lot of these kind of, you know, not really like splash pages necessarily, but like these, you know, long kind of vertical panels that are, uh, you know, showcasing a character or whatever, Um, but then going back into kind of that tight, like, you know, nine panel grids and stuff. I don't know. It's really interesting seeing mm. those things kind of balance together.
2: Yeah, it's weird because those 90s comics, yeah, they have a very specific layout formation, you mm-hmm. know, and um, I I mean, I could have done that, but I, I wanted to do, like, my version of that, like, what I consider to be a, a money shot. In other words, you know, <laughs> totally. I wanted to have certain figures and, and have it look cool, but I also I only had twenty pages to work with, and there was a lot of story to sort of compact in there, so yeah. I had to be smart about that. So I can't just like throw in a a, a splash
0: takes away just a lot to of fill story. up space,
2: yeah. right? I needed that space. I needed that uh, that real estate, you know. Totally. So it's a weird mix. It's a, it's a cool weird mix. I mean, it gave me a chance to sort of um, work out those those influences, you know, which were creeping into my work anyway. Blood Strike <laughs> is just a good excuse to like to sort of like showcase them in a way.
0: <laughs> I, I'm curious actually, uh, and and then we'll get off the topic of, uh, of Frank Miller, but did you ever read, um, Kent and I have both been reading this lately, but the the book um, that Dark Horse put out, uh, Eisner Miller, that was just conversations between Frank Miller and Will Eisner?
2: Yeah, actually, first of all, I could talk about Frank Miller for several hours, so <laughs> there's no need to let um, stop. <clears throat> I did read that book when it came out, and I remember thinking it was okay. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fine. I think it was cool because he's always a good interview subject and Eisner is a good interviewer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, during his other, you know, as evidenced in the other shop talk interviews, he talks to, uh, Kirby and, and, uh, Gil Kane. Those are the ones I remember from back yeah. in the day. The Miller one, I think was polite. Mm-hmm. I think was cool, you know, but I, but I'm used to sort of Miller going back and forth with, um, Gary Groth over at the comics journal mm-hmm. back in the day, like just not going toe to toe with him, but really be like, he really went off on those interviews <laughs> and they're really telling. They, they have a, a collection of that. Uh, the journal pulled out, I think it's a comics journal library and, and it's each, each edition is dedicated to an artist. The first one being Jack Kirby. The second one was Frank Miller. And that thing was my Bible. I got to tell you, I studied that thing more than the comics themselves. <laughs> uh, they're great. So by the time I got to the Eisner's talk, uh-huh. <clears throat> excuse me, by the time I got to that, that book, um i thought it was fine i thought it was kind of like a cool talk between a a legend Mm -hmm. and will eisner
0: it's it's funny kent and i like i think we're always kind of looking for more things to kind of find inspiration from and stuff like that and so it was was funny like the second that you mentioned uh the the comics journal library book (laughs) both kent and i pull our pens up and we're like (laughs) writing down
2: on our notepads (laughs) Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. I'm still I'm always looking for stuff and it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the influences in my work because mm-hmm. even it could be from page to page but Totally. I I have an influence for every page I feel like just something that to get me Juiced up, you know, just yeah. just to get it, just to keep me inspired while I'm like sitting there or about to attack a page or while I'm working on a page. Yeah, it's, um, it's the same I, way for me. Man, especially right? if it's yeah. comics related, it could be music or a podcast or a book or something. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to comics, I really try to tap into what I, like yeah, to comics. And what I'm trying to gain with my own stories and my own like scenes or whatever, and uh so those kind of diverse influences could creep in. So it's funny you you, you notice that. I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: So I had a a question for you about uh for Copra. As a as a new reader myself, what's the the best way to you know find your work and get a hold of it?
2: Uh you could always go to well, you could always look me up on social media. I'm I'm on most all the platforms and through there I have a website, my which is my name.com, Michellefifa.com, And you could order all the stuff either through me or through my co publisher, Bergen Street Press. They're the ones who Release the uh, the collections of Cobra. Mm-hmm. So I self publish the issues, and they publish the collections, which is what m- mostly stores order. You yeah. know, that's what's on in Diamond. Um, that's what goes overseas. It's all over the world. That's, how I that's discovered what they. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how they they release it. Um, so it's Bergen Street Comics. They have a big cartel site, and uh, it's available that way. It's yes. I mean, Cobra's also available through Comixology. So I have the the digital. Uh, versions of all the issues mm. up up to date so th- that's the best way to read that stuff Hell for yeah. sure
0: um and, and actually in in talking about i think you know Cobra, but also bloodstrike and everything else you do you know you you do i think have one of the most uh unique not only unique styles but it seems most unique way of working um in comics that's very different from what people today are doing so what i mean what's your process typically like and are you doing every single part of it traditionally
2: I feel like it's somewhat traditional at least when, it, when I'm drawing because I, I don't – for example, like in the writing phase, mm-hmm. uh, I don't script, meaning I don't type it out because I don't have to. I'm, I'm the artist. I don't need to really uh, clarify certain things when I already see it mm-hmm. you know, unless it's a sort of involved scene or something and I need to map it out or something. You know, but that's more of a layout step. Um, but I write everything by longhand. Mm. And then I sort of look at, you know, it depends on whether it scene's dialogue first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write all the dialogue I need and then edit that and then break it down into panels and then edit that into pages. So it's all, it's sort of like uh, fitting pieces together and seeing what I could edit, what I could add, what needs work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only the first step. That's the writing. And then it's layouts or sometimes I do layouts first just because I need a specific amount of time or or mm. page count to fit a scene, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be action or not, whether it be violent or talking heads. I just, I know I need X amount of pages for this to happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's back and forth. So I don't, that's not really traditional, especially these days where, where everything's sort of like broken into jobs yeah, uh, throughout totally. different people. And so you kind of have to be, which I've done too. You kind of have to be super clear about everything. You have to spell it out for your editor, for your collaborators, um, which is also super helpful, You know, it kind of gets you out of your own head. But for Copra, because it's a speed thing and I just need to kind of crank this stuff out as quickly as possible, I kind of just go for it. I just write it and then I draw (laughs) it and that's it. And then it just kind of happens as as traditionally as possible because I don't, you know, I still draw with a pencil and ink with a nib. Wow. I color with like color pencils and watercolors and then I scan (laughs) it and I, you know, and I touch it up. However, I need you know that because that's what you send to the printer. Yeah. You know, you no longer have to send original pages the way you used to have to. Mm. The way you used to have to do. But um, so so parts of it are certainly traditional. You know.
0: Do you so for for the lettering? Is that like do you do the lettering after you scan it in, or are you doing
2: lettering straight on the page? No, it's straight on the page. I, I can't. I don't. <laughs> I don't do. Uh, I can't. I mean, I, I don't know what it would look like. Uh, again, it's just faster for me. I just. Wow. I mean, it goes back to those like Kinko's days, you know, you just kind of, you don't, you don't know a letter. You don't even know what that is. You just sort of do it yourself because you've done it as a little kid. And then you're, you know, you're just, it's the act of putting balloons, you know, in play, yeah. certain places and then filling it with words. It's just sort of like, it's a muscle that have always worked, you know, so yeah. it's not weird. And then it, it's interesting now these days or in the past decade, maybe when digital lettering has become so prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. Because... Because I think readers come to expect that. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. I'm, I'm just sort of like uh, thinking about this stuff recently. Um, I don't know if like hand lettering is a turnoff to readers or because they've gotten so used to like the crispness and the sort of uh, precision of digital lettering. Interesting. Now, for me, to my eye, I prefer hand lettering mm-hmm. because even if you look at original art, it's just of a piece. It just makes sense. Yeah. And so when you yeah. see digital lettering on art, no matter how slick and polished it is, there's still that layer that's separating it. And to me, that throws throws it off. But that's I don't know if that's me because I I look at comics a certain way, mm-hmm. or if that would bug me as a reader. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I, um, yeah. I feel kind of like you. You might be the only person in in major comics that like, uh, if you were to look at an original page from you, that it would be the complete finished page. Like, not only you know, obviously pencils and inks, but then the coloring and the letters and stuff. I mean, I don't think that's pretty unique. Yeah, I don't think that exists very much anymore. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. I also color on the boards, and again, that's just uh, as a as a time saving measure because it's just quicker. Because I've yeah. done the other, I've done it the other way. I've done black and white, and then gone back and colored it on a different layer. And it just, it's just, it takes up so much time. Mm. So really, I just have to get this stuff done. And uh, you know, I gotta say, when it comes to lettering, you know, while we're on the subject, yeah. I, I prefer yes. when someone letters it themselves. Like, and I, I remember hearing or maybe I read it about Mobius talking about this. But it's like, even if the lettering is not perfect, at least it came from the artist, mm-hmm. and then, then therefore that is 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 consistent um and so you look at mobius's lettering it's not perfect by traditional standards but it's his and it has personality and it adds to the art you know totally. and same thing with alex toth alex toth did the same thing and they came from separate worlds mobius and toth but but the but but i, I think the logic is similar and then you look at all every alternative cartoonist from robert crumb to the hernandez brothers to dan clowes and evan dorkin they all do the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, so it's pretty much a. It, it's we're talking really about the realm of mainstream comics, yeah, uh, where that's still like a weird, weird thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just don't come from that world when it comes to that. So
1: that makes sense. Well, when I was reading the the comic, it took me a while actually to notice that it was being hand lettered, and I it's you've a very clean execution, man. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Good job. I, I think if anyone would be turned off
0: by oh, hand lettering, nice.
2: it wouldn't be yours. Exactly um thanks i, I mean thanks that, that's that's great to hear because i'm always like thinking how it could be better and clearer and uh, i mean it's a process i mean it's with every step of the of, of the way I'm, I'm always thinking about improving mm-hmm. and so i appreciate that that you dig it at least <laughs> that it's not you Absolutely. know that it's actually readable yeah
0: know? um now, I'm curious, what, what do you find, and, and I think, you know, I guess, what was the biggest hurdle? Because so the story that you've told before, at least, is uh, when you went to start Copra, it was kind of a, a challenge to yourself to sort of prove that you could that you could do it, you know, that you could put out, you know, those those 12 issues in 12 months, and that you could do sort of a, a comic on a monthly cycle. Um, mm-hmm. What was the biggest sort of uh, challenge or hurdle to overcome in that kind of journey?
2: Looking back, I, I don't know. I think... I think I was just too into it, like too in it <laughs> to notice, I think, cause it was a dare to myself almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I wasn't sure if I could do it and, and I tried making it where I would just plan out a month, say, you know, let's say like four to five weeks and I would have to get a specific amount of things done. Um, and that's it. And just kind of go for it. And so I, that's how I developed certain shortcuts in production and, and, and art and everything. Mm-hmm. And just kind of going more for the gut instinct rather than refining things, yeah. you know. So that helped. But the hurdle I think may have been that because I wanted to sort of stay on specific pages And just kind of work it to death, you know, and make sure that everything was perfect and everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And then I had to kind of like teach myself how to just do it and realizing that I didn't have to refine anything. It was going to come out the way it was going to come out anyway. You know, because of my style, the way it is, it it looks very uh, not rushed, but it looks like there there are elements that are neat and elements that are super messy. Mm -hmm. Right. But it all takes time. You know, I, I, take time to make it look those ways and I just didn't have to be so careful about things, mm-hmm. you know, but I still had that in me. I was fresh from a different product from my previous comic, which was uh, Zagus. Yeah, That was my previous, that was my first official self-published comic, uh, that I had to send to a printer and it was, you know, I sold to stores and stuff. Um, so I think I still had that in me mm-hmm. and I had to really get rid of that like quickly. Uh, and then 12 issues later I was, I was surprised, you know, mm. I was just so, so in the, in, in the moment of making this thing, the year went by super quick, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really do conventions. Uh, that was the only job I had to do that, you know, to do Cobra. So I was, I managed it. I managed to do it. Wow. Um, as opposed to now I work in like six issue chunks mm. because I have other projects, you know, like blood strike or, uh, you know, when I worked writing for Marvel, that was like its own thing. I could have just done that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but, but I, I always try to juggle it with, with Cobra. That that's definitely the the thing I do. But, um, I think that's about the only hurdle I could think of. I mean, there are many hurdles, of course, uh, of course. when it comes to putting out your own book and stuff like that, but the, yeah. that's what you learn along the way, you know, mm-hmm. and like past that initial year. But up front, I think it was just that it was just, getting it done you know do it yeah
1: absolutely i'm so impressed with your ability just to just to get out there and just swing and then play play off of that yeah
2: yeah i just a part of me just kind of felt that i was making up for lost time too because i was ready to kind of you know we talked about me living in miami and stuff and wanting to break in but it was like a slow break in you know like i would do little things here and there uh I would ink a job here. I would pencil a job there, you know, little, very minor things uh, that are official and that mm-hmm. were published uh, that I was even paid for sometimes for it, you know? Um, but in my mind, I, I didn't want to just do that. That to me didn't seem like a career. Mm-hmm. You know, it seemed more like a hobby or something you did after work because that's precisely what I did. Um, so copra was sort of another thing for me to, not another thing, but it, it was it was a project for me to sort of prove that I could do this thing that I've always wanted to do and see if I could actually do it. Because at that speed, that's how you make a living. You have to just kind of go fast. That's why all the old school guys, that's why they penciled like two issues a month Hmm. because they just had to do it. They had bills to pay. It was a productive thing. It it wasn't like an art. It wasn't an artsy thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like this calling that they had to fulfill. It was like, no, we need to get a job done. Um,
0: (laughs) got to pay the rent so
2: my my exactly so my thing was a mixture of both Mm -hmm. you know applying that sort of like uh workhorse mentality to a passion project and see if i can make rent at the same time so luckily it worked man
0: is it does it ever get hard kind of balancing the mentality of of both a, a workhorse and also like trying to keep it a passion project and keep some keep it something you're excited about
2: Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's hard, but it's definitely there. It's definitely a thing that I sort of kind of have to have to deal with Mm. from time to time. Um, just because, yeah, it's different hats. I can't just pass off, uh, because I'm doing it all myself. I can't just pass off the job to like, um, I don't know the editor or the Mm -hmm. PR department or the anchor, you know, it's, it's, it's all me. Um, so yeah, yeah, that it's, part of me feels like it it, it sort of informs the st- not the story but my work mm. itself. You know, the way I, um, the way I sort of uh, – not the way I draw in so much as like the way I interact with like the readers, you know, because I'm a reader too and I know how I want to engage with creators. Um, and so I try to – or with stores or at conventions, mm. you know, just the, – or the world – you know, pretty much the, the world of comics. So dealing with Cobra 100% by myself – Has helped me sort of navigate that, you know, sort of like uh, teach myself how to behave as a professional as and as an artist. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. interesting. Um, In in talking about yeah, it's I mean it's a lot, but I'm always trying to, but it's 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 ever changing. You know, it's like there's no like I have no conclusion or or clear answer for that. It's just (laughs) always changing. You know, because the landscape's always changing you know so you kind of have to change with it Mm. or if you decide not to then you have to deal with that too so yeah i don't know it's definitely interesting more than it is frustrating i'll tell you that (laughs) that's good
0: uh how like in in your style is there like at least for your artistic style was there a time where you were kind of like sort of stressed or, or trying to figure out like what your style was or was it something that always developed naturally and you didn't really
2: uh you know think twice about what the style necessarily was Oh, man. I, I still struggle with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still struggle with finding my style. I don't – I personally don't think I have a style. Interesting. Um, and it's sort of – it's it's a weird thing, I got to tell you. I mean it's it's cool to not nail it down. I, I can't really deconstruct my own style even though I could do it to other people totally. easily. Um, I, I can't really quite do that. And so it's weird whenever I hear – People talk about my style and how it's it's very specific or or whether they like it or not. They just could – they're just – they could pinpoint the elements that make it and I just can't do that because to me it's – like if, this is a, a superficial thing. But even say, you know, if you show Coper to like a diehard Marvel zombie or something or DC, like a Wednesday warrior, mm-hmm. they might think it's a little too off the mark, too – off brand too off-kilter and weird and not realistic, you know what i mean? Yeah. Um like too artsy. It's just too too something, right? Mm-hmm. Um but you show my comic, you show to like the alternative scene, it's too square. It's too traditional. <laughs> you know what i mean? So yeah. like what is that? Yeah, it's like superheroes like what get this out of here, yeah. you know? So i'm sort of in this weird middle zone of From
1: both of, worlds but accepted by neither. Like, <laughs>
2: Right. But the thing is, those are the comics I like. I like. exactly. I'm not sitting here saying saying I like all sorts of comics and I love everyone. Uh But I do, you know, pick from a range of comics that I like. And it just happens to fit neatly and square in the middle of both extremes. And so luckily, some people like it, you know, some, you know, people seem to dig it. And yeah. um, but I can't tell you what those elements consist of. To it's, be honest,
0: it's funny. I was, I was talking about uh, or talking to Ed Pisker about that when X Men Grand Design started coming out, because he was telling me that like people, you know, people in the indie scene were giving him shit for doing a, a Marvel comic, you know, and like and doing something like that, and you know, saying that whether it was like he sold out or whatever, but like looking down haters, on haters, they're X-Men. all haters. Yeah. yeah, they're all haters. It's it's so weird when people like want somebody to like fit into a specific box of of where their creativity can lie
2: oh yeah the indie scene could be just as bad as the meatheads in the wednesday crowd i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's terrible it could be terrible that's why you know props to ed because he's just carving out his own his own little corner (laughs) of comics you know he's doing an extreme uh, book now too huh or like a one shot or something well he did he did a he did a fake pinup for my (laughs) blood strike (laughs) okay Um, i was
0: wondering about that i was like is ed pisker doing like a one shot sometime soon okay that makes more sense now
2: no, if he's doing it, that's awesome. That's news <laughs> to me. But th- those were supposed to be sort of like, um, not parody ads, but just sort of like cool ads, like pinups, but with like okay. ad copy on them, just because like a lot of those old extreme comics had yeah. ads that were just as cool as the comic themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to to touch upon that style.
0: Dude, that makes um, so much um, more I sense. I was like, because when I, when I read the issue of Bloodstrike, I was like, holy crap, like how are they, all these people are doing these crazy uh, extreme <laughs> books. What's going on? <laughs>
2: No, I mean, uh, I would kill for like a Ben Mara drawn and written Youngblood comic. That oh, would be totally. amazing. Uh, and who knows? That could happen. So that ad doesn't necessarily have to be fake. That may <laughs> happen. One day. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> Don't tease us like I'm that. I'm crossing
2: my fingers.
1: I hope it works out. Just start promoting it and then Yeah, then they'll have it, to do it. it. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah, he'll have to make it. He'll buckle under pressure. It'll be great.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you said it. you were going to do this, man. I mean, you put out the ad. <laughs>
2: uh, exactly. But it then has again, to exist now,
0: you know, it's it's kind of in tradition though, because I mean, Rob Liefeld did sort of start his image career by putting out an ad for a comic called The Executioners that never came out. So it's kind of all, it's right. all tied and together.
1: Then,
2: it's really on brand. Right, program. and then his ex-editor threatened him with a lawsuit, and he's like, "All right, well, fuck you. I'm making Youngblood." <laughs> yeah. And you know, the rest was never the same. Totally. Again, but. I I mean, those comics are super inspiring to me, too, you know, and that that seemed to surprise a a bunch of people, too. But I never said they weren't. I always sort of talked about those comics with fondness Mm -hmm. and not ironically, you know, Um, I like those things, too. So I think Bloodstrike is just an extension of that love that I have for those comics, you know, whatever you think about them or not. I mean, those were just what I read when they were coming out and they informed what I liked yeah. You know, no, it's
0: uh, it's so. funny. Like I've been lately kind of digging through the old Image back catalog. Like Kent knows this. He's kind of been at conventions with me where I'll, you know, start digging through like long boxes and stuff looking for like old Savage Dragon and and like Wildcats and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Um Yeah. But I like I I'm, I'm kind of of the generation where the first the first Rob Liefeld thing I saw was um he did like two issues of Teen Titans with Gail Simone. Uh, oh man, I remember those. Yeah, and those I fell in love with his style immediately. You know, I was like 13 years old, and I was like, "What? These guys are amazing! Like, look at all these enormous muscles and guns and whatever." Um, yeah, yeah. But it's still so inspiring. Like whether whether it's looking at their their artwork or you know like listening, especially listening to interviews with Rob and and some of the other guys. Like they're so. And same with Todd, like they're so inspiring and kind of like the energy that they have about like, yeah, I just wanted Like I was going to make my comics and no one was going to stop me. And like I wanted to do it my way and fuck it, you know, like I, I don't know.
2: There's there's a, a su- super raw energy with those guys. Yeah, I mean, that was super inspiring to me, too. Just the fact, you know, as a kid and and right now as an adult and trying to make Copra happen and comics in general, those guys just went for it when they didn't have to you know, they were pretty well off yeah. drawing and writing the the top books at Marvel. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not going to kiss everyone's ass and think that every image comic was great, especially in the nineties. There was a lot of horseshit back then. Oh, Of course, uh, definitely. In but a lot of especially. it was good. And you sort of have to kind of accept it with within context. Like back mm-hmm. then you see what was coming out, you see what they're competing against, what they were working uh, with and without. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it still has strength based on those conditions. Like, I think uh, you know those Youngbloods are cool shit. I don't yeah. think they needed to be rewritten by Joe Casey. As much as I love Joe Casey and as much as I like that effort to rewrite the first three or four Youngbloods, mm-hmm. those the originals as they came out, those are artifacts. Those are time capsules to that effort, to that moment in time, and they shouldn't be fucked with. They're they're just perfect the way they are because that's what Rob Liefeld wanted to put out at yep. that time, and that was pivotal in many ways and that's how i kind of see those comics as well not only nostalgically but th- you you could sense the, the the you could sense the the competitiveness yeah. of those comics you oh, know yeah. and that really moved them forward and made them more interesting as a result they were trying to top one another mm-hmm. in certain respects you could always attack the story or the lack of story or whatever mm-hmm. but it, that wasn't it, it that's beside the point yeah you don't go to those comics for those sort of nuances yeah. even though sometimes they did exist in those comics so it's almost like it's not fair to apply a certain amount of uh standards mm-hmm. uh to a thing that was made without those standards in mind does that does that make sense absolutely absolutely yeah
0: it wasn't it's it's all about intent you know and then their intent
2: exactly was not right, what right. people
0: are trying to ascribe it to they weren't trying to like you know make watchmen or an, something like that it just wasn't it's not the same ballpark it's not the same thing that you're trying to accomplish um right he's not trying to
2: rob wasn't trying to write american splendor you know what i mean totally
1: exactly yeah you don't judge uh those aren't his strengths yeah
2: yeah you know no Like you go to an action movie you go like you don't expect um like a a play from an action director Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like a lot of people they they say all those image guys they can't they can't be subtle they can't uh do backgrounds or they can't do character interaction uh fuck that who yeah. needs that <laughs> when no. you read those comics you don't want those things those things get in the way yeah of why you went there you know
0: no they so, they illustrate what's important you know if it's not important to the story it's not important to what's going on then why it doesn't need
2: to be there you know right 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 so my my general point is that yeah i i, I dug those old image comics <laughs> you know? i, I I still do. I, st- I mean, I still get a lot of inspiration from that stuff, for sure. Yeah, I was I was noticing, like, just looking
0: at everybody's style in the, the early image days, like, they all, each one of them had such a distinct style, but it's like, I, I was kind of noticing as, as I've been, you know, kind of pouring over some Walt Simonson stuff the, the past couple of weeks is that almost all of the image founders, you could trace, like, their style to Walt Simonson in some way. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the way that Todd McFarlane draws eyes, the way that Eric Larson draws like bodies and stuff, the way that Rob Liefeld draws action. Like there's such a it's interesting, like how much uh, a guy like Simonson kind of inspired that generation. I don't know. It's a weird thing.
2: That's funny. I don't I don't see Simonson in everyone, mm-hmm. uh, but that's super interesting. And and you might be right. I mean, the, the, the clear example is uh, Michael Golden, right? Everyone kind of took from Golden a little bit. And then our Adams took from Golden. And really, that's where the image guys got their stuff from, from like... Arthur Adams and a mix of like Barry Windsor Smith and you know, those guys maybe a little bit of Frank Miller on a, on a, like just a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Simonson, I think that's a lot of Larson. I see a lot of Simonson and Larson. Yeah. He's the most similar one, but I think you might be right about like the others too. And just to, just just even if it's a little bit, but mm. Simonson to me is like the, one of the best. Yeah, one I'm... of the best. So you won't find argument for me. <laughs> we are both big. Yeah. Simonson's we ones. were talking about it. We were looking at
0: the, um, cause I, the, the Thor by Simonson that I have is, is the freaking recolor edition. And, uh, I didn't realize that you could still get your hands on the original colors. And so I came over to Kent's and I was looking at his and
2: I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, you have all the original colors. God damn it. I'm seeing this rendered shit in my Simonson. <laughs> Man, I got to say Simonson, he's one of those guys that he really, I mean, we're talking about my, my Miller influence, but yeah. Simonson has such a big influence on me, probably just as much as Miller, yeah. but you don't see it. I don't know how to really show that in my work, even though it's constantly there. I'm always thinking about, you know, how to make a page exciting and what would Simonson do and, 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 you know, not for every page cause he, he's better at some things than others, but. I I try to tap into that the more the more the more I do comics because I just think his stuff is so wonderful. I yeah. think it's just so well rounded and great. I Absolutely. mean his old stuff, his new stuff, it's all talk about someone who has not gotten bad, is not <laughs> yes. fine yeah. at all. Everything he fucking draws evergreen. is just spot on.
0: Yeah. I, like, and I love how present he is on social media and stuff because he's always posting like his pencils and his inks and random sketches and stuff. And it's just like every time you see something, you're like, oh, shit. Like, you know, Simonson's still a master, still just as
2: like, you know, modern as anybody. It's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is also fresh in my mind because just yesterday I went to go see some artwork at the Society of Illustrators. And that. half the wall was just Simonson stuff from his own collection because he doesn't sell artwork. But it's all the all the hits were there, man, oh, and it was like mind blowing. It was amazing. And is that it that's great? I mean, that's in New York. Pencils. That's in New York. Yeah, it's it's uh, up on 63rd Street, and it's open till I think that it's going to be open until about October 25th wow. or thereabouts. Um, it's incredible! It's so good. Um, yeah. I think I have to go back just to see that side of the wall again. I know. Now I'm um, like trying to figure because you how don't I see that stuff in the way. wild. You know, yeah, I'm trying
0: to
1: figure out how I can get myself out to freaking New York now. Cause that sounds awesome. I'm trying to figure out how to get a tour through Walt's house if he doesn't sell his artwork. <laughs> yeah, seriously,
2: seriously.
0: Um. So so now, obviously, you know, Bloodstrike Brutalist, um, as we're recording this, you know, it, uh, is on its, you know, the second issue has been released. The third issue is soon to come. Um, so you're probably, you know, back into copra mode now. Uh,
2: where where sort of are you in the in the production line? Well, I have to do. I'm still like writing and penciling. Mm. You know, I'm trying to work on three issues all at once just because I'm catching up. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I'm doing. I have three issues of Copra Versus, which is a mini that I I created about a year or so ago. And that focuses more on the villains, you know, because sometimes I introduce villains in the story Mm -hmm. and they don't last very long. (laughs) I just kind of like. They just either die or go away yep. or something happens to them. They yeah. they shift considerably. So, but I still find them interesting, mm-hmm. and I want to. I you know I kind of want to know where they came from a little bit more. So I try to flesh out those origins, and have the have it interconnect with the main story. So it's not just a flashback, yeah. But it has to have it does have some sort of weight in the main narrative. But that's what I'm working on right now. Just three oh, issues yeah. of that. Uh, issues three four and five that's awesome
0: uh and do you you know obviously you've you've kind of dipped your toes in in company-owned work and then always you know obviously come back to Mm -hmm. your to your creator-owned stuff um do you still sort of have a desire to do any company-owned work or do you think that you know you're kind of going forward have have you know exclusively just sort of plans to continue your own stories
2: well, for the moment, I definitely want to do my own stuff and sort of uh, get ahead in Copra because mm-hmm. uh, I do have like a lot of stories left, and I, I want to get to it. I feel like I've I've uh, I haven't been in that world in a while, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I kind of want to get to that. But I, I would work on other companies, just within reason, you know, within uh, within the spectrum of me doing it all or a lot of it, at least. Like mm-hmm. I'd like to. I like to sort of do what I do with Copra, but with like other properties, the same way I did with Bloodstrike. Yeah. You know, just sort of uh, apply my, my style to those characters. I just don't know what character, I don't know what company would have me do that. I um, mean... So right now, I've just got to focus on on Copra.
1: Yeah.
0: Know? And I, I don't think any of us are complaining about that. I think it's uh, it's one of the joys of, of uh, creator-owned comics. I think Copra is, 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 you know, up there is one of the biggest delights to read whenever it comes out. Um, oh, that's awesome to hear! Thanks. Yeah, I, I, want I would more, still like I to
2: do. I, I still like to do like work with other people. Yeah, that just it's it's a process. It's different. I have to get in the mindset for that. You know, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not saying I'm never going to do that. I'd like to write for people or, or draw for people. Mm-hmm. I'd actually like to have someone ink me because I think that's super interesting and that's never really happened. Mm. Um, I, I just I don't even know if ink, inkers exists anymore in the in the sense that um like a, a Joe Rubenstein or a Terry Austin yeah. existed back in the eighties, you know? Um, I think inkers do exist, but, but ah, I don't, I don't know. i Listen, I would just like to have someone ink me and see what that feels like. You post know, post just to some, see my work return to me.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Let's> see what <laughs> happens. Just post up some pencils, see what happens. I, I, I mean, I, I happen to be sitting next to a, a very, very gifted inker. Um, I'm
1: like, I'm like <laughs> itching a little bit. I'm like, I just want to see what happens. Let's, just, let's get a drink in my hand and let's go
2: for it. Um, oh yeah. So, so how do you ink? Do you ink digitally or do you still like dip a nib into ink? Uh, I do mostly do
1: digital, but uh, not a week goes by that I'm not uh, getting some ink uh, physically on my hands. So it's it's either, but uh, right. I mean, probably digital. But probably,
2: for you, I might have to go traditional. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> for you, sir, the way you look, mm,
2: I, I'm, I'm feeling traditional. <laughs> I'd like to see both, honestly. I mean, it's really a matter of like pencils. I mean, how do you, how do you prefer inking? Like w- w- when you get a pencil page, how do you prefer to see that? pencil page like super tight pencils or just like blood like cylinder blocks like super <laughs> sparse layouts oh my god well so this is funny this is exactly the question that i was going to ask you
1: <laughs> uh when you were doing your homework. but for me i think it depends on like the 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 collaboration of it i wouldn't mind tight mm-hmm. but uh, at the way i ink currently i kind of would like it a little bit looser just so that i could decide it but it depends on the control because i at one point, yeah, it does kind of feel like tracing where it's like, you made all the decisions. How about I just go into Photoshop and I just darken up all your lines and then boom, we've got ink. So it it doesn't necessarily feel like if it's a perfectly tight, like, and I'm talking about like absolutely diamond hard, perfectly penciled thing. I'm like, you kind of just inked it yourself with pencils though. Um, So I kind of like a little bit looser, but it it depends. I, I think I'd be curious for when you do it for yourself, how loose are you getting?
2: You know, first of all, speaking of Rob Liefeld, I think what you described—that's <laughs> precisely what he did with those Teen Titan issues. I think those that are tight so. pencils. Oh,
1: well, that makes yeah. sense. And, yeah,
2: and I think that's why it has that chunky look, which I like. Sometimes that works. It, mm-hmm. it could be, it could be seen as as a as a as a, I don't know, a production saving step you know like oh let's not pay an ink or a week or it's it's late let's just go straight to you know but i think it could look cool and i think he started doing that when he was doing awesome comics i could be wrong about that but when he was doing a fighting american and rejects and stuff like that back in the late 90s i think he was one of the first to do straight to pencils
0: yeah i feel like Uh, you're right on that yeah
2: unless maybe it was like gene Cullen back in the 80s when he did some some DC thing. I forget what it is. Mm-hmm. Silver Heels or, or Nathaniel Dusk. That's what I think it is. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting lost. <laughs> oh, I, I love hearing in, this, in this stuff. In this, this is like a wormhole. Uh, <laughs> but um, when my w- with my pencils, because I ink them myself, I don't really do pen, uh, detailed pencils. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to penciling, uh, I get a little impatient because mm-hmm. that's not to me – that that's not drawing – You know, like to me, the actual drawing and when I figure stuff out and and flesh it out is when I'm inking. Um, so my pencils are never really that detailed at all whatsoever. Um, however, that's sort of changing. I'm sort of, you, you've caught me right at, at at the cusp of something different, which is, (laughs) I think I want to start penciling more, um, at least for myself, just to sort of, figure out the, the blueprint of the drawing mm-hmm. more before I ink it and then decide whether I want to go off script when I'm inking, you know? Um, but again, it depends on the schedule. If I need to get a, a piece of artwork done, it needs to get done. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like a luxury for me to, you know, do a blue line sketch and then go in and kind of loosen loosen up the pencil st- the lead pencil stage and then kind of do a second drawing on top like i I don't have time for that I, I wish i did but i don't um and i've never used a blue line pencil anyway i don't i don't know what that's like you know i really just do like quick sketches um of what i think i want you know layout wise and then i just go to inks not straight to inks i still pencil it i'm not a fucking monster but <laughs> I, I still ink it <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know how people do that. I know they go straight to inks and that's a thing. Yeah. I, you know, McFarland did that a lot, I think. Oh, my God. Um, that's crazy. But, uh, it's, it's fucking nuts. And he, he has, actually has a good theory about that. He's like, um, he just, he knows what it's going to look like and he could just work it out. He's actually doing the drawing in the ink. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think he was seeing someone at a convention, like, really just be really precious about their pencils and he was like, "I, I, you don't have to do that. You already know how to draw. Just do it with ink, <laughs> you know." And that's exactly what he does. And it's, I mean, that's how he managed to be so detailed and be so prolific at the same time. Yeah. Um, the otherwise, it'd be just I silhouettes. Mean. I gotta tell you, exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, I've I've been loving. There was um, who was it? Vice, I think, did a like an interview with uh with Todd McFarlane that was like this really long, like like a i don't know half hour long kind of interview with him where they dissected like his sort of philosophy on craft and like uh just being an entrepreneur and stuff like that and that todd McFarlane's endlessly
2: fascinating i think yeah for sure i think i saw that clip was it i don't know if it was vice it was um ah, i forget that magazine yeah but you're totally right it was sort of recent right yeah
0: it was complex complex. complex there we go yep it was complex yeah Hell yeah. No, that was, yeah, yeah that movie. was
2: a great interview. That was a great interview. I loved it. I, I still find him fascinating. and Totally. And uh, I love his artwork. In, Speaking of digital inking though, have you noticed – like whenever he, – he recently inked Eric Larson on some issues of Spawn. Really? Did you check those out? Have you seen those? I, I haven't, haven't seen, seen those. those. That's those. amazing. It's kind of weird, I got to say, because I I don't know shit about digital inking, mm-hmm. but you could sort of tell when he zoomed in and worked something out. Mm-hmm. And then when it's sort of from a distance, so you could see like even on a page mm-hmm. that has like let's say three panels, yeah. every panel had a different sort of feel to it, hmm. and it was really weird. And so I don't, you know, I've, I'm curious to see what you think when to, when you see those pages to see if it's if it's like I'm making this up <laughs> or if it's a thing that you, can, you know, that you maybe should be consistent with with the the, um, the how you know the zooming in. Of the ink line, or something—I don't even know if that's a thing—but just something looked off. That's it. And I'm just curious to see what the technical reasoning is.
1: I know what you're you're talking about, though, because I was watching um, a video with Steve Lieber, where he kind of talks and breaks down his inking process, and he talks about how you don't well this is his philosophy that you don't um want to necessarily zoom all the way in and do all this rendering which you can do it is an option when you have the computer but when you pull it out and when you hit print you're losing all of that detail yeah. and he has a really good way of executing it but if he did all that rendering i'm sure it would look exactly kind of the way you're describing it where you could be like man there's so much information there but i can't see any of it that sounds weird but it sounds like what you're describing
2: yeah and the thickness was very off Mm -hmm. like and not on purpose i feel like again one panel he probably just zoomed in like a thousand percent and worked it to death and then on another panel he just kind of just worked it to death but at a different uh calibration i guess Mm -hmm. and uh it was a little off and i think that's probably what steve Steve Lieber was talking about interesting you know it just looks different so that you know as a person like when he was inking like spider-man he didn't have that tool. He did. He, all yeah, he had was like exactly. a page in front of him. Uh, and so it worked, you, you know, it worked. And and additionally, those pages have hand, hand lettered captions on. So again, it was, a, if it's, it's its own thing, it worked. So when it comes to like the spawn issue that he inked, mm-hmm. not only is the inking weird, but it has like digital lettering. So that's also like, yeah, another layer that's like kind of taking me <laughs> away from the experience. You know, I, I want to be drawn in. Yeah into the world but that it it's less of a world if i could see the steps does that make sense yeah absolutely
1: it kind of loses um and i know what you're talking about because when you have like a figure say it could be batman it could be anybody but when you have it like zoomed in and you or you've got it like a close-up and you've got all the details but when they're far away and you've got just like this wide shot they're different artists do different abstractions of what their character looks like at a distance and when you don't have that digital tool you have to kind of be it's like oh you only draw the eyes but you don't do all the webbing on spider-man kind of thing but if you can do all that super rendering close-up i don't know if it necessarily benefits it but you know it it, you have to judge it artist to artist
0: and i I think it, it kind of takes away sort of a layer of like you know, what What I think would be cartooning in a lot of ways, where it's like when you have a character that's far off, like it's something that Simonson would do a lot and a lot of other people, it's like you just kind of simplify the face, you know? Like when the character yeah. is sort of, you know, far away in the panel, you just kind of like, okay, here's a couple of dots for the eyes, here's a tiny line for the mouth. But then, you know, I think a lot of digital artists will, yeah, zoom in and like actually try to draw a full face at that distance. Whereas if they didn't have the option of zooming in, yeah, they just do a few lines and call it done. Um, and I think there's there's right. a charm to that. There's I think that is what one of the things that makes comics comics. You know? Exactly. Uh.
2: I, I think they're they're I think the modern cartoonist or artist is actually taking into consideration the fact that readers could now really zoom in on their phones or their tablets, mm, God. and so they're probably drawing with that in mind. Like they have to. In other words, they have to show off at every <laughs> turn and make sure heart. that even. Even the whole crowd scene that everyone looks on point when it's like really it should just be a blob in a couple of lines absolutely it should you know, most un- important unless you're like unless you're Jeff Darrow or George Perez, it <laughs> yeah. should just be abstracted into a shape, yeah. and even then just a the color don't go in there and color every fucking shoe, you know what yeah. I mean just color it's a thing it's 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 the way you perceive it it's it's a, an illusion almost you know you have to play with that, yeah. so I don't know, maybe they're working with that in mind, you know.
0: That's weird, because I I really like some of my favorite panels and pages in comics are when they get less detailed and it's a lot more sort of gestury or silhouette or whatever because it's it's same it's, it's such a more visceral experience I
1: think um, totally same
2: you do
0: know
1: you, uh, do you ever read a uh, headlopper at all oh. I do yeah I I love that guy's kind of stuff God Andrew's yeah. the best he's he's so good yeah um, he's great his uh the way he does um. The character from afar is like such a crazy <laughs> abstraction of it's like wait what is yeah. happening? Yeah.
2: It's so good though, I love it. See, see, he's a good example of like a defined style. That guy has a point of vision, about, mm-hmm. sorry, a point of view. He has a vision, and he's executing it brilliantly. You know, mm-hmm. almost from out the gate, he's taken. You know, he comes from like a Mignola school mm-hmm. of, of of black and white art and cartooning. You yeah. know, uh, but he's definitely. He's coming to his zone, and so when we're talking, you know, we're talking about styles. He has a style. When you see uh, a nightcrawler by him, you know who drew it. That's true. You know, you don't have yeah. to guess who inked it or you know what's the face look like. That that that'll give us a clue. It's like no, you know, it's him.
0: Yeah, Andrew's Andrew's um, amazing. I, I love his cartooning. It's funny too because like he definitely looks like a character out of his own comic. <laughs> it's like you meet him and he's just like the, you know this big smiley dude with an enormous beard like he just looks like a viking that you know stepped into a, a denim fest.
2: the sweetest guy
0: he's oh, great so and Such uh a great you
2: know hopefully he'll be doing that profit comic one day so oh my god that'd be amazing love it oh i think that's coming out in the next issue shit oh <laughs> i think there's that a tease. Fake ad is coming out yeah there's you got to see it I think he's posted maybe a port of it, so it's not like a big secret, but it's it's fucking cool, man. Oh I would God. buy I would buy that for sure. Yeah, I'd buy oh the shit out of God. that. That's, That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um all right. Well, uh, really quick before we uh, wrap up with our last question here, just want to remind the uh, the listeners to check out Michelle's stuff. You can go to MichelleFife.com. You can see how his name is spelled right in the title of this episode. So it'll make it really easy for you. Um, you can find. Uh, <laughs> appreciate it. You can, no problem. Uh, you can find Copra there. You can you know obviously order the single issues. You, uh, you ship out the single issues um, or the signups through uh, Etsy, right?
2: Yeah, I do offer subscriptions, uh, but I still have to wrap up uh, my previous year's subscription. So just be on the lookout for the next round of that. Nice, nice.
0: Um, so yeah, you can find the the trades through Bergen Street Press. Obviously, order them through your uh, local comic book store, um, and you can also find all the issues uh, on uh, Comicsology as well. Um, and actually, before we before we ask the last question, I am curious one one sort of final question. Before that is, uh, how did you find? Um, the you know publishing your stuff into comicsology you know cuz you you weren't doing that initially um when you made that decision did you were you okay with it was there something you were resisting beforehand that uh that you came around to or what was kind of the process there
2: well the only thing it took me a while to get around to it was Because I really wanted to know what it would look like. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't a part of Comicsology at that point uh, because I don't normally read comics online. Of course. Uh, So I was really slow to getting to that because I was just busy making the actual comic and getting it printed and making and sending it to stores. Yeah. So that was sort of like, you know, I'll deal with it when I deal with it. And I kind of held off for a while. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea that there was this desire, this growing desire – and hunger for content, for just stuff to, for people to read digitally. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of blind to that, to that section of fandom, yeah. you know, like people there and it threw me off because I still see comics as like, a, not only uh, as something to hold and covet, but as a, you know, it's a collector thing. I, I get that. Like mm-hmm. people just want to collect the physical pamphlet. Right. But there are many readers that don't, they just yeah. want to consume it digitally and they don't have to have it on their shelves or in their boxes or whatever. Mm. And that was new to me. You know, I, I was late to that party, even though I've done web comics before, I, it was difficult for me to marry both. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. so I, you know, in talking with comiXology, I was talking to them for a while. Uh, and it worked out. I, I think it was a, ultimately a no brainer. Like, or, you know, I, I don't want to neglect that portion of, of an audience that's interested in my work. And honestly, as long as they're interested in that, I don't care how they read it. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Like, yeah, uh, whether it be the, the comics, the issues or the books or a translation or a digital comic or whatever, or over their French uh, shoulder, I don't care yeah. because ideally the perfect unit of a comic book to me is a single issue. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's not the, the world we live in anymore. So I'm not going to like sort of force my fetish on people. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not going to be like, well, copra, copra could only be a, a floppy comic. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's a lunatic does that, right? Yeah. Um, so that was part of me kind of being like, all right, well, it's not the way I read comics, but it's the way people read comics. And I can't ignore that. It, it'd be silly for me to do that. Yeah. So
0: smart, man. It's, it's So smart. It, it's so funny, too, because it's like everything that I write, every every sort of comic thing that I do, like I write it for like a 20 to 24 page single issue. Uh, even if it may end up just being a graphic novel or something like that, I can't get myself out of the habit of writing in that chapter format of like, okay, tell a complete story in these 20 pages, you know, and like have you right. know, sort of your page turns and your reveals and your uh, cliffhangers and stuff like that. It's, I don't know, I feel like it's a good structure regardless of the format it ends up released in.
2: It's a totally great structure. It's great. I mean, even, even guys like Jack Kirby, they're, they were built for the 22-page superhero drama mm-hmm. action comic, right? And those are good little tight packages of, of of storytelling. You could pack a lot of stuff in there. And that's what I'm used to. So, I mean, imagine, you know, when Alan Moore used to write for 2000 AD, he would have to jam pack and tell a complete story within four to eight pages. Yeah. And that sort of – he built he built that skill. So by the time he had 20 to 24 pages to play with, he had Watchmen. Yeah. You know I mean? He had Swampman. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he grew from there. So it's always a good – it, I don't know. I think limitations are great. Restrictions are 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 good. Um, when it comes to that, and I think the 22-page pamphlet—that's that's the limitation that I'm comfortable working within. Yeah. So, but honestly, as long as people read it, it could be a collection or whatever. It's I'm happy. I'm just glad they're <laughs> reading it. You know. And you know, whenever you said you write to that to that template, the 20-something yeah. odd page template, I still design pages based on page flips totally. and double Same page here. spreads. Same here. Same here. So, so I'm always very aware of like the odd numbered pages yep. and what, you know, and the way you kind of, you know, when you open a page or a spread, yep. you see all the information all at once. You can't ignore that. So yeah. you have to take that into account and that informs the way I tell a story. So I still, totally. I'm very much of a mind of an issue, of an issue, or at least a page turn in a graphic novel. Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. I love it. Yeah. No, no moving I, forward. I don't know how that's going to, I don't know how that's going to affect my work if I just do straight up digital only comics um Mm. but that's you know i'll approach that when i have to
0: yeah it's like it's almost like your mini setups and reveals like you have to have them you know even more like uh you know on a micro level where it's like almost every panel has to kind of have a setup and reveal um if you're if you're like thinking about it that granular which is is tough to think about mind-boggling i don't want to do that Cause I, it's like, I, yeah, like I, <laughs> I, I always, I'll go through my script and kind of like put a little asterisk next to the odd numbered pages. So I know which pages need like a pretty decent, uh, setup, you know, for, for a, a page turn or whatever. Uh, right. You know, and it's like little things like that. And just thinking about the stress of like trying to do that in every panel is, is crazy.
2: Right. And it doesn't have to be like a cliffhanger oh, every page, yeah. you know what I mean? But, but yeah, just being aware of like, Okay, how does this conversation end? Mm-hmm. Does it end naturally on a page and could it does it lead nicely into the next? Yeah. Just being aware of those things I think is is cool and important um, yeah and even that's like be the for anything.
0: yeah of like of like guiding the eye sort of off to like I, I'm always trying to like guide the eye off to the right of the second page you know or the right hand page like that bottom right corner just to you know like whether it's a character looking there or like dialogue coming from off screen or like a question being asked or something like that I don't
2: know yeah 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 no all that stuff matters (laughs) totally (laughs) i think i I think about this stuff way too much so it's it's, (laughs) you know i'm sure we all uh, we all do in in some respect but Yeah. yeah i'm with you on that for sure
0: all right thank you so much michelle for uh joining us on this episode and uh normally we like to have the ad break in the middle but you know what this one will be right at the end because michelle you just he, wh- what are we gonna do we're gonna break right into his uh right into his flow nah nah we're gonna save him from that's that for future guests that's for future guests it, it, it's for guests where we actually have uh, uh where we tell them that there's going to be an ad break but if there's just a conversation going i don't want to break into their flow uh but kent now that they've they've finished that interview let's uh Let's let's talk about uh, the ads, the people who are supporting this show, the thing that is keeping us afloat.
1: Hey, Jason. Yes, sir. Do you like comics? I love comics, Kent. Well, then you should check out Panel by Panel magazine. Oh, really? Why should I check it out? Well, for first of all, you write for it.
0: <laughs> I guess that would be a good reason <laughs> a to, good check reason it out. to That's read it It's a good reason to
1: read it. That's a great it. reason. Uh, but second of all, if you love comics and want to know more about the insight in either making comics or the breakdown of just a... P- insight into the storytelling of comics. Mm. Panel by Panel Magazine is a magazine for you. Maybe you could tell them a little bit more.
0: Uh, yeah, you sound like you're, you're pitching it from the perspective of somebody who's never thought about how they should pitch Panel by Panel Magazine.
1: Uh, I, I, I've never thought about pitching Panel by, right. by Magazine. Uh, if, if
0: you want to see some uh, amazing um, looks into uh, the art process, you know, some of these books we've got people showing their entire process uh, from writing to line art to colors to lettering. It's, it, it dissects the whole thing and, and, and spreads it out for you to, to behold. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're, if you're curious about making comics, which I think a lot of people listening to this show are, I think it's honestly, I really do think it's essential for somebody looking to, to make comics. Um, because there's, you can't get this knowledge anywhere else. Honestly, like there is so much in this magazine that, that it just, I've never seen anybody, uh, reveal these kinds of things in any other medium. Um, And it's kind of like a little club, you know, it's not, none of these articles or features are published on a website for everybody to see. It's all kind of behind this little secret door, you know, it's like you go into a a club and then all of a sudden you, you find that door behind the vending machine and you go into a, an exclusive new club with, with only people uh, who who want to do the same thing you do, and it's like a little fraternity. Is, uh, the key is in the form of uh, schmeckles of schmeckles, and so throw your schmeckles at panel by panel. Um, go to PanelXPanel.com uh, to find out more and uh, order your first issue. And by order, I mean buy immediately because it's online. So there's no, it's not like you have to like wait it's for a shipping instant gratification. Right uh, hey Kent, hey Jason, I know you like comics. So let me tell you about one. It's oh, called please. Scariest in Screamforce. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a it's comic. my free comic that I created, I wrote and illustrated and colored and lettered.
1: Congratulations! And that sounds like
0: a lot of hard work. I put it up on Webtoon for free. Wow, that's
1: that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I wish I'd come up with an idea like I, that. I wish you had too, because boy, boy, how did it take me a long time? Uh, it's, uh, it's not. Tell, me,
1: tell everyone about this comic that you wrote yourself and drew yourself. This
0: comic that I wrote and drew myself is about uh, three little monsters in a monster town uh, who are investigating uh, the mystery of somebody who's been scared to
1: death. Ooh. Yeah,
0: it's very spooky. Uh, it's, it's kind of in the vein of things like E.T. and uh, other stranger things. And, and it's like Spielberg plus things inspired by Spielberg. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, <laughs> plus plus Bram Stoker. I don't know, uh, and uh, it's 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 a it's a fun story for for all to enjoy um it's it's spooky it's got twists it's got turns i happen to know what happens in the uh, end of this arc even though none of you are able to see it's really freaking cool and this thing is building to something amazing um whether you've got kids and want to share it with them or you just want to enjoy a spooky story yourself scariest and screamforth is the comic for you so make sure you go on over to scariest and appreciate the work by me i'm just kidding it's 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 all Kent's work.
1: Kent's done everything. Yeah, don't be don't be don't be scared when you see Kent Heidelman's name all over it and <laughs> not Jason's. That's the real scare. That's yeah. That's the twist. Plot twist. <laughs> Jason didn't write or draw a thing. I didn't do anything. Except Jason. make a suggestion. Oh, yeah. Okay. No. I, 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 yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's about the yeah. only thing I contributed. I made like well, one yeah, suggestion uh, here and there. you suggested that the the logo needs some work, and uh, I improved it. That's about it. Other than that, it's all you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the I'm the real star here. Get out of my way. I'd like to thank our new guest, crying baby. I don't know if they can hear it with. Maybe these mics are that good. That's okay. They probably can't hear it. Uh, Hey, Jason. Yeah. Do you like to listen to other comics podcasts? Fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good, because.
0: I've created. I created the, the first rule of improv. According to this podcast, is say no to everything. Every time we ask each other a question, it's always like, Nah, dude, you're on your own. Float in the water by yourself. No floaties for you. Figure out how to turn this into an ad. That's literally we both do it to each other every damn time.
1: We never learn the rule of yes and. It's amazing. <laughs> It's incredible. I got bored with yes and, but I'm I'm, just, I'm changing the the comedy game through comics. Are you about that's to tell me about
0: I, I, uh, the Savage Land podcast?
1: That's why they say I, comics. Yeah, uh, Savage Land
0: podcast. I guess it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. I started like four years ago with a couple of friends of mine. Three years ago, I don't I don't know. With a bitter tone. <laughs> uh, me and me and a couple of friends of mine. We talk about comics. We talk about movies. We talk about TV. We talk about video games. And we talk about animal penises. Uh, I don't Ooh. know why I keep bringing that up. That happened like a hundred episodes ago. Um, it really did. It's hundred up, ep- crazy. Uh, we're on like a hundred episode, one hundred and seventy at this point, or something million. like that of, of that episode. Uh, we talk to creators about all sorts of stuff as well, but it's really just kind of hanging out with your best friend, talking about the things you love. Um, so make sure you tune in. Go to SavageLandPodcast dot com or search Savage Land on any podcast app, and you will find us. Kent, we'd like to thank Michelle Fife for joining the show today and giving us all of his insight and chat.
1: Patreon, I forgot the patron. No, oh, the ad on the. I'm, we're, we're, we're going. Right,
0: we're going right. We, we don't. Uh, we can advertise the Patreon when we shout out Melody. We're going right into the end of the show. It'd okay, be weird to talk skipping. about it. We're It'd skipping. be weird to talk about it twice in like two minutes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, moving forward. I'm trying to flow. Thank you, Michelle Fife, for joining the show. We hope to have you back at some point because you're just a great guy and you've you got a lot of insight that we'd love to
1: sap out of you. Uh, so it was a good time with Michelle. Love reading your comics. Absolutely, Kent. Who made the music on the show? Sean Rosner. He's a fantastic musician. He's also an artist, but we're not plugging that here. Uh, I no, mean, we are. sure, we can. Fuck yeah, it. He's Check, a great it out. Artist. Yeah. Check out his Instagram at rosner.art.music or his album, Burn Away, Defy the Night. Um, does all that sweet music that you hear throughout this podcast? Sweet music. Uh, we would also like to thank uh, Melody
0: Mew, who is our patron uh, at the $3 tier. Right now she is alone in her support in the $3 tier, uh, so she's the only one who gets a shout-out at the end of the episode. But if you'd like to support the show and get your name shouted out at the end of the episode, go to patreon.com no, slash tmbcworkshop, uh, and you can uh, support the show, find all those amazing tiers, and check out them. A bonus of content. Uh, in addition, if you'd like to have your comic book supported on this very show, what can you do, Kent?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to hear a really sweet advertisement for your indie comic, you can give us an email at letters at com. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Uh, basically send us an ad of 15 to 30 seconds. It's a MP3 or WAV format. Make sure your comic and or ad is not incredibly uh, horrible, hateful. Yeah, whatever. no hate. Pretty, that's really all that's we're looking for is, is no, no hate. hate. No hate. Uh and basically we will pick our favorite and at the end of this season season one we will put it on air for free 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 and we'll give you that shout out and it's not going to cost you a thing hell yeah yeah please send your your Submission's over. We've already gotten a few great submissions, but uh, once we get to the end there, we'll pick our favorite. We'd also like you to leave
0: reviews and ratings on iTunes, and we will read those out on this very show. Uh, we've been seeing those ratings come in, and we greatly appreciate it, but uh, if you are leaving us a rating, go ahead and write a little review in that review section. It always makes us feel warm and fuzzy to hear your thoughts. Can we do we, appreciate it.
1: Where can they find you on social media? On social media, you can find me, Kent Heidelman, at Kent Heidelman, at Amazing. all the social medias. Instagram is my favorite, though. Instagram, Instagram you can
0: follow me on those grams at a white kid. You can also follow me on Twitter at that might be cool. Now Kent let's finish this mother frigga off with why Michelle Fife loves
2: comics. Why do I love comics because uh, it's it's my way of communicating with the world and that's it's just the the form that I've chosen or it's ch- say and uh, that's the way I want to express like what I think and feel and see. To everyone else, mm. um, through these w- weird little stories, <laughs> so uh, there, there. This is a, about as personal as I could get, you know. And that's what I love about comics uh, yeah. that you can control it all yourself, and you can make it the most intimate experience ever. Um, I love it, man. I still love it. I have not gotten sick of it at all. So
0: hell yeah, Michelle thank you so thank much you for so joining much. the show uh, we, we really appreciate it thanks for joining us here and everybody make sure you go pick up Copra pick up Bloodstrike pick up whatever the hell has his name on it
2: <laughs>
0: thanks guys it's been awesome epicool.com You never know